You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. As you can see, our text this morning is taken from Proverbs 6. In order to kind of set the context of Proverbs 6, let's turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to read, first of all, a few verses from Proverbs 10, then Proverbs 20, and finally Proverbs 24. We're going to begin our reading with Proverbs 10, 1 to 4. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. And let's move on then to chapter 20, also verses 1 to 4. Wine is a mucker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. The king's wrath is like the roar of a lion. He who angers him forfeits his life. It's to a man's honor to avoid strife but every fool is quick to quarrel. A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks, but finds nothing. And then finally, Proverbs 24, 30 to 34. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. I preach to you this morning from the word of our God as you find it in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, tomorrow is Labor Day. It's another holiday. Indeed, it's the last holiday, you can say, of the summer of 2007. And it's also the day in which we're going to have our annual church picnic, and I hope that many of you will make an effort to come out and share in the fellowship. But getting back to the holiday for a moment, it's called Labor Day. And do you know what that means? It means that tomorrow, even though we have a day off, we're supposed to think about our work. Labor Day is a special day in which we acknowledge our labor, consider it, reflect on it, 
even try to appreciate it. Historically, in Canada, this day can be traced way back to the 1870s and 1880s. Those of you who are students of history know that all of North America was in labor upheaval in those decades. Protests, strikes, lockouts, arrests, confrontations were common as workers sought new rights. In Canada, it was no different. In 1872, there was a massive printer's strike in Toronto in which laborers demanded that they be allowed to work 54 hours a week and no more. And the authorities set out to stop the strike. You need to keep in mind that in those days, union activity was illegal and union organizers were jailed. But in the end, Sir John A. Macdonald was forced to step in. He repealed the anti-union laws and released the union organizers. And in a sense, you can say from then on, the power of the working man and the labor unions increased. And in the 1880s, in both Canada as well as in the United States, the first day or the first Monday of September was set aside as Labor Day, a day in which to commemorate working, probably also some of the achievements of the working man. And of course, at this point, you're probably wondering, what does all of this have to do with this worship service, and what does all of this have to do with the Christian faith? Well, beloved, it has a lot to do with it because the whole matter of work and labor receives a lot of biblical attention as well. In short, this is no secular topic. This is not something off limits to the Christian life and the Christian faith. No, our God has something to say about this subject as well. And indeed, when you read the Scriptures in general and the book of Proverbs in particular, you discover that God, our God, is very much concerned about our work. He cares about our labor. And so in preparation for tomorrow, I would like to preach to you this morning on the following theme, Go to the Ant. And why should we do so? And who should do so? And for what purpose? Well, beloved, needless to say, this text this morning is kind of unusual. After all, it speaks about ants. And who thinks? Or who cares about ants? Of course, we all know what they are. They are those little creatures that scurry about outside of our homes and sometimes inside of our homes, the little, very black, kind of creepy. We all know about them. Even the children here this morning know something about ants, and maybe they've even studied something about ants and learned something. But, you know, for the most part, we people tend to ignore ants. We kind of overlook them. And indeed, the only time that we tend to pay attention to ants is when they become a nuisance. When they become too numerous in our homes, we run off to Canadian Tire and we buy something to spray or to do whatever, get rid of them. And when they develop a whole colony in our, our yard, we might take some drastic measures in order to eradicate them as well. Ants, we know them. But who needs them? Well, beloved, it would appear from our text that... We do need ants. 
Or to be very specific, it would appear that Mr. Sluggard in our text needs ants. Now there's another interesting character. He's called Sluggard. Who is this? Well, I might say that we living here in B.C. and probably in the southern part of British Columbia have an advantage here because we know what slugs are. Ask someone in Ontario, as I did a few weeks ago, what's a slug, and they give you that kind of puzzled look. Apparently they don't have them, or at least they're in denial about them. But ask a B.C.er, and he or she will instantly tell you about those black ugly, slimy creatures that crawl around in your yard and eat all of your most expensive plants. And so we know about slugs. And I dare say, as a result, we also know about sluggards. And sluggards are not garden pests. They're people. People who move slowly. People who are inherently lazy. In other words, this word describes a certain kind of person. And so you could say in our, in our text, we have ants and we have sluggards. We have two types of rather unusual characters, but why do we have them? Why does the Lord talk about ants and sluggards? Why does he cause the writer of this particular book to write about them? And I dare say, beloved, they are presented to us not so much to amuse us as to teach us. For actually, they have everything to do with a certain subject. And that subject is work, labor, toil. By using them, the writer of this particular book wants to teach us about how we should do our work and how we should live. And indeed, deeper yet, you can say, it is God himself who through this writer wants to teach us about these things. All right, why does he want to teach us? Well, first, he wants to teach us and to remind us that he himself is a worker. If you go back to the very beginning, to creation, what do you read? What do you see? In Genesis 1, you meet God at work. He's creating the heavens and the earth. He's creating the land and the sea, the light and the darkness, the waters below and the sky above, the trees and the plants and the animals and man. In short, you can say our God knows all about work. Maybe in a way he even invented it, you could say. He specializes in it. And not only has he been a worker from the very beginning of time, but he is a worker still. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself who reminds us of that in John 5, 17, when he says, My Father is always at his work to this very day. And then he adds, And I too am working. What kind of work is he doing? Well, you can say the Father is doing the work of creation. He's doing the work of preservation. Who do you think makes the sun go up and the moon stand in the sky? And then there is the work of salvation. 
of gathering, saving, redeeming for himself a people through Jesus Christ our Lord. And closely connected to that as well, Romans 1 tells us, is the work of restraining. Of restraining sin and holding back evil so that the church may grow and the kingdom of God may come. You see, all in all, God, our God, is at work. And so is His Son, Jesus Christ, at work. Seated on high in the right hand of the Heavenly Father, He is hard at work. The Scripture tells us that He's working on many of the same things and the same projects as is God and Father. But then, beloved, if God is a worker who is working still, there is a second thing that we need to keep in mind as well. And it is this. Our God calls on man to work as well. Man is to be a worker too. And now some of you may be of the opinion that work is a post-fall reality, that, that before the fall of mankind into sin, man didn't work at all. But I think if you think that, you're wrong. Consider Adam before the fall. He had his work cut out for him. He's told to rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock, over all the creatures. He's, he's told to be fruitful and increase. He's told to subdue the earth. In short, Adam has a lot to do. God didn't make him and tell him to go to the beach. No, God made him and told him to rule. But then, beloved, if Adam is to rule and work before the fall, he has to work as well after the fall into sin. You could say the change, beloved, is not from no work to a situation of lots of work. No, the change is from working under what you might call ideal conditions to working under very strenuous and uncertain ones. What the fall does to work is it injects sweat into it. And you know, sweat, that stands for everything that represents hard work and effort and thankless work and toil and frustrating labor. But beloved, through all of that, we are being reminded that working has everything to do with living. Man was made, sorry to tell you, to work. Work's been there before the fall. Work's been there after the fall. Work, in a sense, beloved, is forever. If you think that the life to come means no work, you need to think again. It'll be restored work, renewed work, but it will still be work. Nowhere does the Bible teach us to assume that, that life in the hereafter is going to be a permanent Caribbean cruise or a never-ending fishing trip. So what are we to make of retirement? Biblically speaking, there is no such thing. The Bible does not know about retirement. That is, if by retirement you mean doing nothing. Instead, 
I dare say retirement without work is a death sentence. Happy the man or the woman who realizes that retirement doesn't mean no work, but a different kind of work. Voluntary work, pleasurable work, kingdom work. Call it what you will. All in all, beloved, Labor Day in Canada is a good day to reflect on the state of our work and to thank God that he has worked for us and that he himself is still at work. But then, beloved, Labor Day is also good for something else, for namely for taking stock of how well we work and why we work. For, I would say, look at our text again, and, and what do you see? You see ants and you see sluggards, but do you also see something else there? There's a command. A command to the sluggard. And the command is this, go to the ant, you sluggard. Why does the sluggard have to go to the ant? He has to go to it or to him in order to learn how to work. For the command continues, consider its ways and be wise. And when he considers his ways, what does he see? It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. In other words, no boss, no supervisor, no agenda. No one looking over his shoulder, telling him what to do. And in spite of that, it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food for harvest. The point of the parable, if you will, is that the ant knows how to work. And that the ant works no matter what. And that the ant works with drive as well as with purpose. And as for the sluggard, he's told to learn from all of this. But what does he do? He doesn't work, or if he does, he does as little as possible. His motto is literally, no sweat. His strategy is to avoid work like the plague. He expects the maximum amount of pay for the minimum amount of effort. He's the man whose eye is always on the clock and never on his task. He's the character, and we know them, I think, who, who live for Friday and the weekend. And aptly he's called the sluggard. And you know, sometimes in the eyes of the world, he's even held up as a kind of hero or role model. This is the kind of person we all should imitate. But notice, never so in the Scriptures. Never so with God. And indeed, his lifestyle represents everything in a way you can say that God rejects and abhors. I think it's good for us to remember that. Today's Sunday, the Christian day of rest and worship. Tomorrow is a holiday, another day of rest, you might say. But then comes Tuesday, and what then? Then comes work again. But how do 
we do our work? Let me ask you that personally. Do you do you do your work with all of your ability? Do you give your employer your best efforts? Do you give a full day's work for a full day's pay? Do you work diligently, honestly, professionally? And that applies not just to those of you who start at 7, 8, or 9 o'clock in the morning, but to all of you, to all of us. Also, your mother's in the home. What about you? You take your work seriously as well? It's easy to go for coffee all the time or to watch the soaps all day, but what about your labor? And you students, what about you? Tuesday, it's back to school or back to college. And, and how do you approach all of that? You go in order to get, you know, the barely passing grades. There's an expression in Dutch about the heels over the ditch. You just barely make it. Is the bare minimum what you aim for? Do you treat all the education and the training you receive as, as actually a waste of time because for you it's one big socializing event? Beloved, in a way you can say that this text that we have before us this morning throws out a question and a challenge. And the question is this, what does your life resemble? Does it resemble the way of the ant? Or does it resemble the way of the sluggard? Are you an ant that scurries about or are you a sluggard that crawls? Are you an ant that builds up or are you a slugger that only consumes and devours? What's the nature of your life? But you know, if there's a question here, there's also a challenge. And the challenge is one of transformation. The good news is if you're a slug or a sluggard, you can become an ant. Now that's hard, perhaps, but that takes effort. But you know, the message of the gospel is that we can change. Our lives can be transformed. God the Father can recreate them. And, and God the Son does redeem them. And God the Spirit alters them. Faith in the triune God can change the character of our lives. It can put meaning and purpose and productivity and relevance and abundance into those lives. And indeed, I dare say that only by living the way of the Lord will this happen. But look at what happens if we continue to choose the way of the sluggard. It leads, the writer says, to boredom, laziness, listlessness, and poverty. Our text says it well. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. In short, beloved, the life of the sluggard is the perfect recipe 
for poverty. Now, I know that care needs to be exercised here. Poverty is not always due to laziness. Indeed, poverty can have a host of different causes. But nevertheless, the fact still remains that that laziness is still one of the prime causes of poverty. Proverbs 10.4 states, Lazy hands make a man poor. Proverbs 13.4, The sluggard craves and he gets nothing. And Proverbs 24 says, Aptly a sluggard doesn't plow in season, so at harvest time he looks, but he finds nothing. And Proverbs 24 repeats the words of our text. Surely all in all the message is clear and consistent. Adopt the ways of the sluggard, and poverty will be yours. And I think at the same time, we shouldn't just confine ourselves to poverty. Really, the ways of the sluggard lead to an unproductive, wasted, and unsatisfied life. For being a sluggard means that your God-given talents remain undiscovered and unused. It results in a life that is devoid of any kind of purpose or aim or achievement or any real sense of fulfillment. Sure, beloved, there is no happiness in such a life. There's only wasted time and lost opportunity and bitter fruit and a hard life. Yes, and our God would spare his children of all of that. And that's why you have his instruction here in the book of Proverbs. And his words of insight in the rest of the scriptures. Our Father knows what we need, and it is not to spend our time in laziness, but to use our time working productively in his world and church. And his kingdom. So let us be wise. For that's really what it all comes down to. Being wise. These proverbs, after all, are for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. The sluggard is unwise. The ant is wise. The sluggard has nothing. The ant has plenty. And therefore, let this be a lesson to all of us as we approach Labor Day tomorrow. Who of us have not met men and women who have made a mess of their lives because... They despised God's wisdom and counsel. Some refused to listen to their parents and failed to develop healthy habits of living and working. Others ignored their teachers and so never really developed their talents and abilities. Still others always managed to find an excuse so as not to work and give it their own. But may none of that happen to us. But may we walk, beloved, in the way of wisdom. 
which is also the way of work and the way of God's blessing. Have a blessed Labor Day. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.